Hey guys, what's up? I hope your week has been absolutely wonderful. I have such an exciting announcement. I am bringing the podcast to Soulfest, partnering up with Lunchbox Packs this coming weekend. If you guys are going to be at the festival, it's killer lineup. I'm talking to so many artists. We are doing them live every day, 3 to 7 p.m. If you're in the area, come on down, take a picture, say hi. I will be in the Lunchbox Packs vending booth and that is where we will have our stage set up and everything will be recorded and posted at a later time. Something I wanted to do for so long, so I'm so hyped it's finally happening. But this week I sat down with my dear friend Devin. You guys probably know him as Sweet Tooth. He is one of the nicest people I know in the electronic dance music scene and also, you know, at the same time throws some of the heaviest, most aggressive, most high energy sets out there. He has been absolutely killing it. I caught up with him at Forbidden Kingdom shortly after the pandemic and to see the growth from then to now and so many things are happening for him. He's playing overseas all the time. He's done tons of dates with Subtronics and Kazo and everyone in between and I'm just so happy for him and whenever him and I sit down, we just click and we go in and we talk about everything under the sun. I hope you guys really enjoy this podcast. I will catch you guys this weekend at Soul Fest if you guys are attending. And next week, we have a killer podcast dropping as well. So make sure you stay tuned, stay up to date, follow and subscribe on the YouTube, on our TikTok pages, on our Instagram pages. We post little clips all the time. So without further ado, this is Lizzie Jane, and you're tuning into the Lizzie Jane podcast with special guest Sweet Tooth. <laughs> show today was brought to you by Vitaplur E-Boost Gum. With no pill to take or powders to mix, Vitaplur E-Boost Gum is a first-of-its-kind energy rave supplement that provides magnesium, electrolytes, and antioxidants while you chew. Vitaplur is the perfect complement to my active lifestyle, whether it's at the festival, on the road touring, or hitting the gym. Chew Vitaplur and dance with confidence. Use code LizzieJane for 10% off any order. Seven. Lizzie. You're back. You're yes, back. we are. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited I get the chance to speak with you. I'm so excited I get to see you in general. Thanks for coming on the podcast again. Dude, of course. It's all, it's kind of funny because like, you know, people watching may not know this, but we kind of have this ongoing joke of whenever you're in LA, my hometown, like I'm playing a show. Then whenever I'm playing Denver, you're like, you're also playing a show. So I know, I know we've missed each other. I think two or three times now because everybody knows Denver's like, I would say the base capital of the United States. Yes. Is that would, an accurate statement? I would 100% agree that Denver is the base capital of the United States. There we go. Perfect. And I mean, as someone like yourself who has been traveling all over, which I'm sure is so exciting. Last time we talked was Forbidden Kingdom 2021. I think like 102 degrees, 10 feet from the base stage. And it was lovely. And you had your mother there. And I felt like, you had finally like reached this point where like shit was really starting to happen and you were traveling and it was like, this is it. This is becoming my life. I've sacrificed everything for this. And like the family I've grown grocery boys and everyone in between has kind of accumulated to over the years, your project's being just really built up and now you've been overseas a ton. So how has all of that been from like then to now, like catch us up on like where your mind's been at. Yeah. Um, the last time we talked, 
it was that was the first festival for both of us coming out of the pandemic. And, you know, like needless to say, there was just a hard reset, you know, because I felt like we built all this momentum and, you know, we had talked about it. 2020 was just supposed to be this massive year for everyone. It's life changing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our lives did indeed change, just not the way that we had thought it was. But then coming out of the pandemic, it wasn't like we came back to where we were at. You know, like yep. we all got set back quite a bit. Substantially. But um, at FK, I remember after my set, I had a moment with my manager where there's just this moment of clarity between both of us. It's like, all right, like we're here. We made a statement. We're going to continue making statements. Like my head's the clearest it's ever been. Wow. No distractions, blinders on. Like I just want to take this project and like evolve it to the biggest that it can be, you know? And then as time went on, uh, my involvement with Grocery Boys became more and more substantial. And we all kind of had that moment of clarity together. We're like, all right, well, let's just not be a group of like internet, uh, internet heathens, you know, like we have a chance to really build a community and put on for the underground in a way that like only we can, and we can, you know, build the biggest table in the underground scene and then just, you know, make a place where we can just grow people, you know, like whether it be our immediate group of friends or people that just feel lost, like misfits out there that have potential that just, just like need a platform and just need like a support system. So growing that was insane as well. And then, you know, we actually even started a European chapter of uh, Grocery Boys because Dr. Ushu was someone that we had brought over during the pandemic. And when I started traveling more, uh, when I were, went over to France, he introduced us, or sorry, he introduced me to Azabim, Bezo, Shark, uh, Madcore. And when I saw like their friend group, I was like, dude, this is literally what GB is, but this is like the Europe version. I love it. So, you know, that's when we started GB Europe. So like, it's just, it's been cool. Like, it's been really cool. Like, and I feel like not necessarily saying that I'm glad the pandemic happened, but because of everything that happened during it, I feel like I'm on the path that is most me. I figured out what I want to do, not what the industry wants me to do. And I feel like because I had so much time and such a you know good foundation between my, my management team, my friends, my family, you know, we just had so much time to really lay down the foundation for something. And now that foundation is strong and there's not really any distractions. It's just like, you know, steady growth. And we have huge spikes and every now and then, but like we're on the right path and the path has been pretty straightforward. I love that. And, and I mean, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth where when we were in that time coming back from COVID and we last spoke, it was very much so, you know, this happened. It was out of our control. We all had to take a step back. We all had to reanalyze and put together a game plan of how we were going to approach continuing to progress our project, regardless of what happened and regardless of what market shut down. But I also think it gave many people, including myself, that moment of clarity of, you know, I'm not going to just do what everybody else wants me to do to make it in the industry or make it in bass music. I'm going to do what's true to myself because me being involved in said community, like the grocery boys, like that's, what's going to really push me forward. And, and it's, it's, it's really sad when I'm, when I talk to artists or when you just see it online where, you know, artists kind of really feel like they lose themselves and they're chasing something that maybe doesn't make them personally happy. And they're doing what everybody else on their team or in their family or in their group wants them to do. And that very much so, I think, does not end up great. And and I think that even though you and I are on different trajectories with our journey, 
COVID gave us that clarity of, okay, what do we really want to do here? Uh, Is the team in place? Are these people supporting us the right way they should? And then community. I mean, community is, it's so important. I I feel like between you and Maddie O'Neill and just a ton of people I've spoken with recently and looking at, you know, the big guys, you just played Subtronics Rocks. What was it? Cyclops Rocks with Subtronics. And look at that community. It's all about building like this home and this family for people who feel like they don't belong, but they do belong here. And I feel like that's what you've done with the Grocery Boys Discord. I'm always kind of in and out of there. Once you added me, I think it was after the Dallas show that we played with Megalodon. And and that was still, you know, it was still a big community, but it was nothing near where it is now. And, And there's so many people in there. And when I see people like Heckler on Insomniac's radio doing Grocery Boys mix series and like stuff like that, like that's so dope because it means that it's not like, oh, it's hitting the mainstream. It just means that what you guys are doing is so impactful that people who were not involved, that didn't have any reason to be involved, now want to be involved and want to push that to the forefront. And I feel like that's how like festivals come about and event companies come about. I mean, you guys just did one of your first events in Arizona, which was like, that looked insane. Yeah, it was crazy. And then to go back with the heckler thing, like Sean has been a close friend of mine and even more so a mentor to Jay Moss, who is one of our founding yep. members. And it was one of those things where we had never extended an invitation to heckler because I was the biggest artist in GB. Not that that mattered, you know, because it doesn't like we're all we all have an equal seat at the table. Yes. But it does feel kind of weird reaching out to someone whose platform is bigger and asking you to join asking them to join your movement because we don't want to want to ever come across as like, hey, like we want to, you know, use your clout to boost ourselves. Help us, help us. Exactly. So it's hard to reach out where it kind of felt like he was doing his own thing, not being heckler and crushing it, you know? So it's like, why would he need, like, obviously he's the homie and like anything he needed, like, you know, but it didn't really felt, it didn't really feel like we had anything to uh, benefit from it, benefit to him. So we were doing our first peer review and you know it's exactly what it sounds like where we uh we listen to everyone's tracks and then we you know we say like what you do good uh what you we try to see like all right this is what you're trying to accomplish in this song like this is how these are the things in this song that you did well to accomplish it these are where you're kind of hitting the mark and then you know like for me personally i'm like whether or not i would play this song live you know yes and then we have this thing called the golden cart which is like we have four guests or we have four judges and if the song is just like a banger then wow. or if you're in your opinion a banger then one of the judges like all right this is a cart like this song gets a cart and if you get four carts you get a golden cart and really just bragging rights you know just yeah. a hype moment it's like hey there's nothing i need to change about this song like gb Love approved it. but if you write a song that is just bonkers beyond belief we'll give you a platinum cart which is right there on the spot no questions asked you're officially gb you know yeah and then uh heckler had turned in a tune for a review and then I was like, yeah, dude, like, it, like, I, I almost like, I'm afraid to ask you, but like, yeah, if you were down, this would be a platinum card. And he was like, bro, I've been waiting for you guys to ask me. I've been wondering this whole time why I haven't been in GB. And we're like, dude, we thought you were too big for us. And he's like, no, bro. Like I've been waiting. So then we added him and basically he was coming to me and saying like, what, what we're all doing and mainly the community aspect of it. Like we don't care about how big or small you are. It's all about like are you going to put everything you have into helping the group grow, you know? Because the more the entire group has, the bigger uh, pool of resources we all have to eat from, you know? And like, I make the joke, like it, 
you know, it takes a village to build a city, but it's like, yeah, it takes a village to build a grocery store. Yep. And, you know, Heckler was saying one of the things he loves is that he felt like he never belonged to a group or like of homies like this, where it's not competitive and we all just want to see each other grow without holding each other back. And, you know, so having him come in and then off the bat, just like, hey, like you guys are helping me out a lot. This is a platform I have on Insomniac Radio. Like, let's do a GB takeover. And again, it was one of those situations where there is no favoritism. There is no bias. Everyone that turned in a song, they got it played on, you know, like, doesn't matter what your socials counts are, what your Spotify numbers are. It's like, yo, like we gave everyone the platform because everyone that's there deserves to be there. Like, fuck politics, you know, like everyone deserves to be heard, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I will say like, just unfortunately, I think everything from underground kind of collectives and groups to very politicized, you know, upper echelon, whether it's management companies or agencies, there's very few places that I think you can go and really just expect the most genuine support. Like, it doesn't matter if I win, if you're winning, we're all winning. And I think you guys have that and it's made a statement across all platforms. And that's very, very special because I don't think right now that there's a collective out there as big as this doing that with with big names that are actually nationally touring, nationally doing it. And it provides kind of this streamline of almost you know, what we do here and talk about our mistakes and our journey and things we wish we did and wish we did better. You guys have people in that group as much as yourself and Sean, where people who are aspiring to be like you can ask these transparent questions and you guys can have homie hangouts and have feedback sessions. And I mean, it's, it's so dope. And I just feel like you, as you continue to climb the rope and climb the ladder, it's just going to push that more to a forefront. So how has the music been? How have you been feeling like creatively? I've seen you kind of in and out of the studio. I'm trying to be more on TikTok. So I see your TikToks all the time with all the boys going off in the room, which I love. Like, who have you been working with? What have you been digging? Like, how's the progression been going? Are you working on an EP? Like, all that stuff. Yeah, so um, during March 2022, and I promise this will make sense of the story, I was on Reason, Reason 9. And I've been on Reason since the beginning of my career. And frankly, I started to feel a little bit stagnant just because like there's just a, a multitude of things you can do in reason. But as far as my personal process to production, like I felt like I rinsed and repeated everything that I was uh, capable of doing. Yeah. My laptop crashed. I was able to save it because I had it backed up. Mm-hmm. But when I, you know, uh, when I backed up everything, I got locked out of my reason. Um, account. Yeah, I got oh, locked out of my yeah. account. Oh, so. Nightmare. <laughs> right. Shout out, shout out Sisto. Sisto had an extra copy of uh, Ableton. And, you know, this, my entire career, all my friends have been bitching at me to get on Ableton because like, I don't know, it, it is the, it is it's the standard. It's like the iPhone. It's like yeah. the Apple, you yeah. know, it's just like me being on reason felt like when I was collabing with people, I was texting with green bubbles. I'm like, bro, will you just switch over? You know? Yes. Um. So luckily I had a lot of my sound saved, but when I switched over to Ableton, like, it was just so much easier, you know, like, yeah, I liked making, I like doing sound design better in reason, but post-processing in Ableton is just so post-processing and mixed down. It's just so much easier, mm-hmm. like so much easier. And then thanks to that, like I've just been able to write music a lot quicker. So I finished an EP, turned it into the label. I can't really say where yet. Cause so exciting, though. things, Coming. contracts got to get signed and yeah. not, whatnot. But then, um, I've been working on a lot of collabs too, just for fun. Like I did a collab with Nerve, who's just 
an absolutely phenomenal producer. Sorry. It's insane how good she is because we were doing the collab over in Discord and I was, you know, we were screen sharing and I sent over, you know, my sounds over to her and just watching what she did to my sounds in a matter of minutes. Like I had never felt so musically illiterate. Like, great. This is great. (laughs) Yeah. When I was watching her produce. And then uh, me and Heckler actually did a collab too. And uh, I think that's going to be coming out on one of his EPs. I just did, well, while I was in Denver, uh, Beast Boy was here because he played last Thursday. Yep. So me and him got in the studio together. We did a track. And at that same studio, the boys from Hostage Situation, who are locals from Denver. Okay. Uh, I did a track with them as well. But I've been doing a lot of stuff. Like one of my biggest fan bases is Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I just recently played EDC Mexico. Yes. And, you know, like... Jessica Otterford really, really helped build that bridge for me. So right now I'm currently working on an EP for her and a record. So I was like, Hey, like you're going hard for me. I fuck with everything you're doing in the Mexico dubstep scene. Like all the fans that I've accumulated because you, you know, gave me a platform out there. They're going harder for me than anyone. So like, yeah, like, like I want to do a fucking Mexican EP, you know, like put it on a Mexican label. Like, yep. So, um, currently in the process of that, that's about halfway done. And, um, Right now, I'm just kind of like my solo stuff. That's where my, like that's where my focus is going. Like those two EPs, like taking my time. But I'm also just trying to kind of knock out as many homie collabs as possible. Yeah. But more like on the sense of dub plate culture, because we we're talking about politics. And one super annoying thing now is like even collabing's gotten to a point where it's just like, all right, whose name goes first? Like whose EP is it gonna go on? Like this, this, and that. And it's just kind of like, yeah. dude, let, let's just make a fucking banger. Like, let's just make a weapon and have it be like a live exclusive that only homies can have, you know? Like, I don't know. Like, everything's just so complicated. Like, working with friends now is just so complicated. Mm-hmm. You know? Because it, and it really sucks. I'm, I'm going through something similar like that right now with, with an event that's going on. And, and it, it really sucks when you have to kind of differentiate that, like, here's friendship and we're homies, but then there's also this business side. And then usually someone who's representing you or a part of the project that it's like that serious side that just like fucking sucks, but it's part of the industry that we exist in. And I would love so much for it to be like, Hey, everyone's going to win. We're going to put this out for like the greater love of the music and da, 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 da. But there's usually someone along that totem pole of stops that you have to go through that says, wait, hold up. This needs to be analyzed. We need to look at numbers. We need to look at this. We need to look at that. We need to look at this. And then it very much so puts like, not always, but sometimes it puts a strain on like the personal friendship and it's like, this sucks. No, 100%. Yeah. Because it sucks to say this, but in the most honest way I can say this is like, yeah, it's not a competition, but at the same time, not only is it a competition, it's a fight to the fucking death. You know, like there's very limited resources where it's like um, slot times, you know, like and even money, you know, like shows are expensive and it's getting to a point where even small shows are way more expensive than they used to be. So, you know, like the more things you have towards making your project as big as possible, the more likely fans are to spend their money on your merch or your ticket sales or buying your tunes or like whatever it may be, you know? So we're all fighting to, you know, have the same demographic spend their hard earned money on us, you know? And it's like, I hate thinking of it that way. Cause it just be about like music community, but it, it is also very realistically a business. And like, we're all like, we're all products on a shelf essentially. And like, 
it, it really sucks to be, I hate when the conversation comes up and it feels like we're reduced to Spotify numbers or ticket sales or this, this or that. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, but at the end of the day, sadly, like, especially with the, the, with technology being what it is and like, there are just stats on everything. Yep. So like, in a really shitty way, it's getting to a point where we are looked at in value with like numbers. And there, there, even if that's not inherently true, that's what people see. Like yes. they see the numbers immediately. That, that is the immediate like gauge of your worth. So to go back to what we were talking about when it comes to like collabing or back to backing or anything, it kind of becomes like, all right, like only one of us can be on top, even though there really isn't an on top. But like, as soon as, if you guys put equal effort into a back-to-back or a collab or whatever, at the end of the day, whoever's name goes first gets the better look. And that's, there's just nothing that can stop that. Nope. So it just becomes like something really simple and fun and wholesome just becomes this whole like kind of fucking stressful thing, you know? And, and it does. And it takes like the fun out of it and the passion and like the love for it it takes it out of it very, very quickly. And you definitely have to realize that one, A, totally is a business. You know, at a certain point, most artists have to file as an LLC, which is a corporation. And if you were looking at it from like a Shark Tank point of view, and you're looking at your gross income and your net income and your sales and da 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 and you translate that into, you know, artist data and artist terms, it's like, How much money have you made from hard ticket sales in each market? Because that's going to amount to the position that you're getting on said festival. So you're not opening and you're doing this. So you're going to get a better spot than the person who played a 500 cap room when you've been playing 5,000 cap rooms, but you don't have any hard ticket value just because you're looking at the money from those tickets and how they can amount into that large festival, you know, organizer, whether it may be Insomniacs or Disco Donnie amounting your quote unquote worth in the area or, you know, from a label side or a distribution side or a remix side, it's what are your Spotify numbers at? What are your TikTok plays and your followers and your Instagram and your Facebook and your Twitter? And it it sucks that it all matters, but you know that there's people out there that sees all that on a line and they go, okay, this is strong. This is strong. This is lacking. This is strong. This person is better than this person. And it sucks. It sucks. It sucks so bad because I think it's a very like, I would say you kind of have just this contrasting side because art in my mind, in my personal opinion, shouldn't be this highly analytical thing because there's so many different ways that somebody can express themselves, whether it's, you know, the artwork behind us or us producing or us making singer songwriter shit or doing something in web three. It's like, how can that be measured by numbers? But it is. And and I think a lot of it has to deal with, you know, the people who do have a love for music, but have been more so inclined on the business side of it, you know, agents, management, you know, certain labels and the people who run their teams, they have to look, how can we profit? And, and if we can profit off of this act that's well-known and X, Y, and Z, why are we going to take a chance on this one? And it's important for those who do push to take the chances, though, because that's the only way that you and I get where they are. And and there are definitely people out there. There are definitely women, men out there that are actively bringing up and coming talent, you know, up through the roots. But you're alongside all these other people that, you know, may have different things going for them. And that's sometimes hard to 
reflect and be, you know, self-conscientious, self-conscious that, you know, this is where I'm lacking. This is where I'm strong. And, and I think it just takes a lot of, a lot of no's and, you know, we've both been through it. It's, it's a long journey to, and we're even, we're still going and, and we still have so much further to kind of embark on and and goals we want to achieve and things we want to do. But it's that constant, I think, consistency of just getting wins because it's not going to just be an uptick the whole time. You're going to have stale areas. You're going to have areas where you pop in and that is what it is. Yeah. It's, and it's one of those things too, where it's like the adaptability Mm -hmm. aspect of it because you can be really good at promoting yourself in a certain way, or frankly, you could just be lucky, you know, like the stars just align and you're in the right spot at the right time and you get this huge boom. And, you know, without saying names, or songs, you know, like there will be, we've now seen a multitude of like one hit wonders where it's just yes. like person has just this monumental song. It's the song of the summer. Like they're suddenly getting hundreds of thousands, if not million Spotify plays and they're touring the world off one song. But then there's a follow-up mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like, all right, how do they make a uh, lightning strike twice? You know, or you have someone that's really good just dominating one social media platform and their presence is just lacking everywhere And I else. think that's what happened with TikTok. You got people who really didn't establish themselves in many other, like they'd been working, you know, whether it's YouTube channel, Instagram, they're maybe a few thousand followers, cool, releasing songs here and there. And then I think TikTok changed everything. TikTok 100% changed everything. And like, I can go on and on forever about TikTok, but it's like, it changed the way that people digest media. And I think I've talked about this before, but the attention span that our average listener, that our demographic has is so short now, Mm -hmm. so short that it's not even like necessarily a drop anymore or the entirety of the drop. It's like a catchy vocal sample and then like maybe three seconds of a drop. And that's like, what is that's what they're fans of, you know? They're not fans of the project, they're not fans of the artist, they're fans of this like three second TikTok moment. So, you know, you get into this for, you know, artistic legacy, you know what I mean? Or like expression, or I, I feel like every artist, there are people that are just kind of like, I, I just do this for fun, you know, like yeah. I, I write like cool shit, blah, blah, whatever. But I, I feel like everyone wants to have some sort of legacy, you know, especially to the level that that we're not only at, but that even more so that we're trying to achieve. Like everyone dreams of being that like once in a lifetime, like Michael Jackson, Elvis, like Whitney Houston level, just songs are just engraved in stone, you know? Yeah. And then there's TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's TikTok. And then there's TikTok, which like as an artist, and I'm not saying that there aren't people that have found a way to stay true to their, their artistic integrity on Some TikTok. Some people have killed it. There, there definitely are. Yeah. But for the most part, TikTok just rewards like low attention span, just throwing like shit at the wall until something sticks. And as an art, and like usually the more cringe, the more cheesy. It pains the, me. It, it, it's pains just, me, Devin. Because you're not looking for a niche. You know what I mean? Because like, As an artist, you're trying to speak to your niche. You're trying to speak to yourself and those that like, you feel so isolated in this world and that's what you hone in on. 
And that's the true beauty of art is because like you hyper-focusing and bringing, you know, bringing the things that isolate you most to life, it speaks to other people and you build a community of people that thought they were lost. TikTok is like, all right, like what is like the fucking bottom <laughs> that everyone can just instantly gravitate to? Simple, cheeky. And like, there's nothing wrong with that every now and then, but to like, and again, for the most part, it just feels like it rewards just like low effort bullshit. And like, as an artist, it just fucking kills you because yeah. you spend like months, years, whatever, writing this well-crafted that you put your heart and soul into. And then, you know, it gets some tractions or maybe even it does well. But the things that typically do the most, do the best on TikTok are a fucking joke. And jo jokes are fun. Jokes. jokes are fun. I fucking love jokes, but like, I don't want to be reduced or summarized into like a six second joke when I have everything else backing it up, you know? Yep. And, and I think I had on, um, my last podcast was with a woman named Liz Haggerty and she does, she was brought on by insomniacs to like blow up their TikTok when no other festivals were really on TikTok yet. And now she works for Grizz and Ella stream and does like one day kind of like takeovers where she'll really build up the TikTok to an event and all of that stuff. And, you know, she had, she had lovely things to say and things that made it way more insightful than I had ever really approached the platform, which is great because I think at the end of the day, it is a tool. At the end of the day, the reach on TikTok is astronomical to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter combined. But there's pros and cons and consequences and reactions to everything. Because what I see now is if certain individuals didn't get in way ahead of the game and establish like their niche on TikTok, like I'm a DJ niche on TikTok, very often they will post things that really just call for attention that has nothing to do with what they're actively trying to push. And then when it gets to the point where, you know, you post something from a comedy snippet or you duet, you know, a trending thing that goes the fuck off and that hits 1 million, 2 million, 3 million plays and the rest of your stuff pushing your music or pushing whatever brand you're trying to push is at a few hundred plays your whole entire page gets flipped on its head and now all they want is the same shit that blew up. And it's just like, I get it. Like throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what fits. I've approached TikTok so many different times and so many different ways of how to keep music as the focus. And, and it's just, it's not necessarily like contradicting. It's just, I think everybody has to find their own niche. And one thing she said that was really lovely was I think it was like, you have to push through and out. And she's like, in a lot of times with TikTok, especially she says the artists that she's spoken with, a lot of artists just put one foot in. They don't fully commit. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to post some stuff here about this and some stuff here about that. But she's like, you can condense the suffering because once you just really say, I'm going to do this, it's going to have a certain aesthetic. We're always going to push the music. And you post 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 and you get through that miserable time where your posts are reaching no one. She said, something will hit, something will blow up. And she said, and we've translated from this time where the goal was to go viral. I think of like nitty gritty, taking the samples and taking this and then blowing the fuck up, um, you know, on TikTok with like certain songs and certain, you know, uh, catchy kind of jingly things. She said, now it's gone from that to where everybody can kind of obtain that. And it's how are you going to create 
your unique path. So I feel like there's a way to reach that niche. It's just, it's so interesting. And it's, it's something that I, I still have a very hard time understanding. And it pains me too. And I sit in the same seat as you where it's not that I want to be taken as this serious savant and serious thing. Like I want to have fun. I want to joke around, but I also want to show like the person that I really am and the person that I really am isn't about jokes all the time. And, and it's difficult. No, I I 100% get that. And that's like, that's something I've been trying to, you know, look at in myself too, especially with TikTok is like you said, I'm glad you said it. It is a tool, you know? And I know as an artist, it's so easy to be like, uh, fuck TikTok. But now with our tier or with our generation, we're looking at, you know, think about the time where people are like, ah, fuck Facebook. And like, you mean you were crushing it on like Facebook or crushing it on um, Twitter. But now it's like TikTok is a new thing for a new generation, which inherently like seems a little lame to us. But again, you know, I talked about earlier adaptability. It's like you have to adapt. But one of the things I've been trying to focus more on, it's like, all right, what's a game plan for TikTok that's authentic? I'm okay with a dash of cheese. You know, I'm okay with a dash of cringe as long as like it's in my control. You know what I mean? Like I I can play the game a little bit, but more so importantly, what's something that I'm not going to like burn out on. And I remember when I first was like putting both feet into TikTok, my thing was like, all right, like I have just years worth of raw clips that are high energy and I was putting them all out there. But the way that TikTok works is they want you to post like three to 10 times a day, a day day and comment on everything. And I ran through like five, six years of clips in like a couple months. And I was like, dude, I I don't. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. But more and more as time goes on, like, I think TikTok is a very good tool if you approach it correctly. And you do, like, we all do have the power to make it into a tool that, you know, is true to us. It just, like you said, like, you have to be both feet in and have a have a plan. So. Now I'm personally, it's a, it's a challenge, you know, it's it's like, all right, instead of just saying like, fuck this app and like missing out on something that is literally taking kids that I've known from 3k followers to 60k in a matter of like months going straight from their bedroom, never played a show to playing the biggest festivals around the world, (laughs) like learning how to DJ live at the biggest festivals at the world, you know? So it's just kind of like, all right, like, at least for right now, this is, this is the proving grounds, you know? So I want to have a foot in that race. So basically I'm just saying like, I'm very interested to find a way to approach TikTok and kind of beat that personal gripe I have with it. I, I think a lot of people, including myself, sit in that same seat where it's difficult because, you know, coming back to when we were talking about the data and the analytics and all that stuff, it it kind of is like comparison is like the whole thief of joy thing. And and you and I sit here and we've embarked on this journey for a very long time, not like very long time, but a long enough time to see people come and go and new names and old names really make it after their time was put in. And I was speaking with Wesson before he played at mission, which he's in, he's tech house DJ He's totally such a different lane. And, you know, I, I think it's, an unfortunate but true statement where 
when we kind of got into this game, it was you need to put your time in, you need to put your hours in. If you don't quit, it's going to fucking happen. And I still believe that 100%. But now I do not think that time accurately equates success because TikTok has provided this platform exactly what you just said, where you can make a video or you can make a song or a reel or go viral was something that attests directly to you and your brand. And that's it. Your life changes. And that was never the case with Instagram. It was never the case with Facebook. It was never the case with YouTube. I mean, YouTube, I mean, you look at YouTube stars and YouTube channels, they posted hundreds of thousands of videos and now they are where they're at. But it's all of that time put in. And, and I mean, I get it. I, I wish I could take that stigma out of my head that just goes, fuck, this sucks. And it's people who most of the time, unfortunately saying, have no idea how the actual industry that they're aspiring to get into works and and what agents are and what managers are and how to DJ and how to put together a live show. And now you've put together these mashups and you've put together, you know, these loops and these things and you're a bedroom producer. And now agents are knocking on your door because you're getting more exposure than any of their artists combined because you've hit it on this TikTok niche that has blown you out of the water. And, and it's very, it's a very just intriguing thing to always hear people's opinions because I think everyone's is different. But at the end of the day, it's like, fuck, I wish that was me. Like, I wish I, like I did that. But at the same time, it's, it's something that also just how I looked at touring after COVID, it's not a surefire. It's not a stability. It's, it's this thing where TikTok could be eventually taken away. Your platform could eventually fall off. And then what is there to stand on? And that's why I think at the end of the day, it's just like people who we see kind of pop, whether they're plants or they were brought in through a friend or they know somebody who knows somebody and now they're touring with X big A tier act, you know, those people come and go. And like the one hit wonders and all of that stuff, it's how are you going to follow that up with the time and energy that you and your team have put in to make yourself a household name, to make yourself an actor that's going to be here year after year after year after year. Because I think it's still true that, you know, you can build a house out of straw, but that's probably going to be blown over where if you, you really nip away at it year after year and you have those highs and you have those lows, you will eventually get there regardless of TikTok or not. It's just, it's just this interesting thing that we have to adapt to. It's kind of, I, I make the analogy of like, when CDs kind of went away and we went to streaming and it was this huge income for artists of that time that got taken away. And now it's like, we have this new thing that we have to adapt to. And who's to say that in two years, there will be a new thing that we have to adapt to. It's part of the job that we've committed to as wanting to be artists, you know? And then too, um, one interesting thing is there's so many people doing it the right way and then the, and why I, I use air quotes because there is no right way to do this you know mm-hmm. and again the air quotes are also is like they have their own artistic morality of what should provide them with the opportunities that they see other people having you know yes. I mean? at the end of the day yes this is a music industry but the music industry is kind of a subcategory of a bigger monster which is the entertainment industry and we're selling a lifestyle, we're selling an image, and people want to vicariously live through us or 
live through our sets or our music, you know? And before it was a lot harder because you had to have a record label or like a big agency or someone with- Sign your life away on the dotted line, but we're going to make you a star. And it's not that way anymore. They were the only ones that had access to promo, like to magazines, to radio, to TV. Now, most people I don't know don't even have fucking cable. You know, like (laughs) we're all on YouTube, TikTok, and it's just everyone's their- Sorry, everyone's their own promoter, which means that like now that we don't need and with DistroKid as well. Yeah. Like you don't even need a label to put your music out there. Nope. So I'm not and I'm not saying that all these things don't help, but there's never been an easier time to be an artist. So on that same note, there's never been a harder time to stand out. Yes. Yep. But at the end of the day, and I think too, this is more just kind of like a word of advice to people out there because we're talking about like the people that coming out of nowhere with the stars aligned for them. They come out of nowhere. They don't have that like strong foundation of like grinding and grinding, you know, like building a sturdy platform. But you may look at someone and you may have been grinding for years and years and years and you look at someone that just gets an opportunity out of nowhere and you're like, maybe you're not even thinking that should be me, but you're thinking that shouldn't be them. You're like, whoa. Yeah, which yeah. is which is an equally toxic thought. And the reason why it's toxic is the more time you spend wondering why something isn't happening for you or why something's happening for somebody else, you shouldn't be concerned about what other people are doing. You, all your focus and your drive and your attention should be focused on what you're doing. Streamlined. Because like I have friends come up to me all the time that, you know, are a little bit lower than I, I hate putting it down like that, but like, I'm, doing, like, yeah, I'm yeah. doing bigger things than they are. So they look up to me. So they, they come to me for I advice. I want advice. I want, yeah. yeah. What's going on? How should I approach this? How should, you know, how do I get where this is? Yeah. And they're like, oh, look at this artist playing this show. Like they haven't done this. They haven't done that. Like how the fuck are they playing this? And I'm like, okay, well, if you want to play that game, look at their socials. What are they talking about? They're talking about them and them only. They're engaging with all their fans. Like they're literally only focused on themselves. So, and I can guarantee you right now, when you're sat here bitching about what they're doing, they're not thinking of you at all. Like you are not a thought. They're literally only thinking about their brand. And instead of like, if something's not happening for you, it doesn't matter. Your first thought should be, what more could I be doing? Mm -hmm. Like, and there's always something more you could be doing. It doesn't matter if someone's getting more for less, you have no control over that. That does not, like, that should not concern you at all. If you want more, you got to do more. You have to. And everyone's not always going to have an even playing field. That's life. There's, That's there life. will never, there's no fair. There's no, you know, it's, it's shit just fucking happens. And the more you're doing, I hate the term luck. Yeah. But like, okay, perfect example. Like it's no secret. DPMO was like my first huge platform. 100%. You know? And Fun Case is like, given everything he has to help grow my platform. And, you know, people look at that and they're like, oh, you have like Funcase, one of the people that brought Dubstep to America, like in your corner, that you're so lucky. And yes, I am fortunate, but how did that happen? I went to every show, came out of pocket. And then like he, anytime I knew he was doing like, uh, there was one time he did a, um, like an interview slash like a um, workshop. Okay. I, I went there, talked to him. But I also like didn't bombard him. I just, you know, I let the relationship build like naturally while also grinding on my own project. 
So by the time he was familiar enough with me to be like, all right, kid, let's see what you got. I was ready. And I had impending doom in my back pocket. And we all know what happened with the rest of that. So it's like, the point I'm getting to is this, get yourself out there, like be ready, like build a fucking cannon, even if you're not showing that shit off and just have it ready because you never know when that opportunity is going to happen. And I actually heard Subtronic say this. He said, uh, luck is timing meets preparation. I was just about to say exactly that. It, it's, it's when you've worked so fucking hard and that opportunity presents itself and you're prepared and you're ready. And you go, oh, you want music? Here you go. Oh, you want this? Here you go. Oh, you want to do a podcast an hour? Cool, let's make it happen. Here we go. And, and you have to, it, it, I, I think so many reasons of why certain things don't happen. And I know I've had missed opportunities. I'm sure you've had missed opportunities. Life happens and it is what it is. But at the end of the day, I feel like a lot of why certain things don't amount to where they are is because maybe your project isn't ready yet. You weren't ready with that cannonball. You weren't ready with that surefire hit. But one day you will be if you keep working and you keep your head down and you keep focused. And and I'm someone who has vastly struggled with the comparison game. And now that I'm embarking kind of on this journey where I'm really writing stuff that feels true to myself, a lot of that has faded away. And I'm like, okay, maybe this is how this was all supposed to be because I wasn't writing stuff that was genuine to who I am as an artist. And, and I think there are silly ways of how that kind of stuff works out. Sometimes you lose opportunities where you're like, I was ready and these were here and I still didn't get it. And then you look back and you say, okay, I didn't get this for this reason. This, this, this wouldn't have worked out long-term. And, and it's just, it's everyone's journey so fucking different, but there are things that you can learn from each person's journey and say, okay, like I've got to be ready like this. I've got to be prepared like this. Having all of this in line is essential for me to get to that next step. And it's really, and it's unrealistic for you to look at someone who maybe is just starting out and then to compare yourself to you because you guys are in totally different positions. And I see that happen a lot too with students and Patreon and certain discord channels where it's like, you know, you can't expect someone who's in their freshman year to be where someone getting their master degree is, you know, it's just, it's not fair to even put those two people in the same boat. So it's, it's all just honing in and at the end of the day saying, okay, if I don't have anybody on my team, I am my own team. And this is how we get to A, B, C, D, E, F, G and having short-term, long-term goals and, and just never burning bridges, being nice to everybody, being just a good person. I think that gets you far in its own right. Um, just cause there's, it's again, the entertainment industry and there's a lot of people who are not so nice. And I think at the end of the day, we're at a point where the music does a ton of the talking, but the more that you can show yourself and who you are and break down that fourth wall, the more fans and community is going to relate to you and say, okay, I resonate with this person who's attracting this community. And when I go to these shows, I feel like home. No, I agree with everything you said right there. And I'm going to try to like, there's a couple different points that you brought up and I want to address each of those. Uh, one of them being like, everyone has their own trajectory and you know, the way the opportunities come along and sorry to go back to DPMO. Cause I feel like DPMO for me, my DPMO story is something that for most of my fans and most people watching something they watched happen in real time, you know, mm-hmm. um, me and level, we submitted impending doom and fun case. And at the time DPMO wasn't even announced. It was just like, 
hey, here's a song that I think is worth your time listening to. I would love some feedback. And like, I wasn't looking for anything else. Yeah. And um, a friend of ours at the time, shout out to Ness, we were going to give that song out for free. And she was like, no, this song is too huge. Give it out to labels. So I'm not going to name it. We sent it to every major dubstep label Mm -hmm. and minor dubstep label at that time. Each one of them turned it down. Yeah. And I get an email from Funcase and he's like, hey, this first drop, it drops. But the B section, that shit drops. Switch those two around and I'll sign it to Circus. I'm like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, I played this last night and it went off. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What? And he's like, all right, here's the thing. It's a secret. I'm starting an underground crew. It's going to be like run by me. We're going to take over the underground and I want you to be a part of it. You're like, okay, sign me up. Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) that wouldn't have happened if I would have got the first signing that came my way, you know? And that's just more like, sometimes you don't get an opportunity that you think you want on purpose because there's a better suit for you coming around the corner. And then to lead into the pandemic, during the pandemic, that's when I recorded all the stuff for my band. And I don't know if I would have had the time to do that because my touring schedule probably would have been crazy and I would have just been focusing on dubstep. But because I was able to sit down and hang out with Funkcase at his house and record that album, when I started sharing it, that's how, <clears throat> sorry. Basically with the, with the band's album, it's still on its way, but like, I just got tired of sitting on it. So I just started like, leaking my own stuff because for those of you that don't know this, the Deadpool movie with Ryan Reynolds only happened because they made test footage years ago that got canned. And they're like, you know, we're not doing this movie. So they leaked the test footage and and it blew up and everyone's like, we need this movie. And they're like, all right, like here's your budget. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, Ryan Reynolds and Tim Miller, they leaked it. (laughs) And then that's how they got the green light for the movie. So I started leaking stuff from my band to, uh, you know, to just kind of like generate some buzz and just kind of like grow a demand for it, you know? Yeah. And someone, I think it was my, yeah, for sure. It was my homie Reverend. He tied Kezo and, you know, me and Kezo had never talked to each other once in our lives at that point. He followed me immediately. And then like a week later, I got an offer to go on his tour. So it's just kind of like, and which ended up being a better fit for me anyways, because being on the road with him, it kind of, cause he, 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 um, what's it called? He integrates a lot of rock, not only rock, but like. Now he has a full live show with like a fucking post hardcore band. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, and he's collab with like of mice and men and Atreyu and like Papa Roach and under oath and like all these bands that I grew up listening to and being on that tour was a big light bulb moment for me where I was just like, I'm not going to not saying I'm going to copy him. You can do both. Here's someone that made it just by being themselves and not caring what anyone else thought, you know? And, and like, that's why I, I look at the case of the way I do as an artist is because like, and, and honestly as a person too, but I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later, but that's someone that just slowly and meticulously stayed true to their own ticked path. Ticked away, ticked away, ticked away. And now they're doing like what they always dreamed of, you know, with collabing with their dream bands on original tracks, not just not just getting the synths remixes. We're all getting the studio and I'm playing the producer role like I would play if I was tracking an actual metal band, but I wouldn't be performing or anything. And he's got the best of both worlds here. Exactly. So, and then just with many talks with him, you know, he was kind of one that's just like, dude, just do whatever the fuck you want. Like it may take a little longer, but just do what you want. You'll be a lot happier. So on that tour, 
That's really what it's about. Yeah. It, it is because I, I think, and I don't mean to interrupt you. I think that that if you real if you keep pushing away at something that doesn't make you happy, you're not in the right industry to do something that doesn't make you happy. If you want to do something that doesn't make you happy, go work half the hours you're working now for a salary and make a really good amount of money and walk away. Because if you're in this, you're going to have to deal with so much sacrifice, so many no's. you got to make what's true to you. you got to make what makes yourself happy in a creative outlet or you're going to like self-implode. No, 100%. And I was very close to self-imploding because I think every artist goes to the point where they go from the underground or their niche to the bigger stages, the festival stages. And with that, there does come some adaption, you know, mm-hmm. like you have new fans that have never heard of you or never even heard of your genre. They're there with their friends and they're taking up a massive chunk of that festival stage. You know, there, there's so many people that go and I'm not bashing anyone like the more the merrier. But now, like, you know, at an underground show, everyone there is there for you specifically. Yes. Or they're there for that lineup, which is very close to what you do specifically. At a festival, you just have a lot of people that are frankly there to have fun with their friends. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you do have to adapt your style a bit to reach a broader audience. And that kind of fucked with me because, like, I still stayed as true to myself as I could. But I do feel like there is a period about a year, maybe six months or so, where I was still playing heavy dubstep and rhythm. But just, like, I don't know. I feel like I made it too adaptable to a mainstream audience. And I felt like I was kind of losing myself. Well, then it's like, well, where am I unique? Am I just every other fucking dubstep DJ who's just playing dubstep? Yeah, I'm just like, I, I... I wasn't chopping as much. I wasn't coming out with the crazy doubles. And that's like, like your thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because when I first did it, it was going over people's heads and I was kind of losing the they were crowd. They're like, whoa. They're like, uh, what the fuck is happening? You know? <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, between the Keizo tour and spending a lot of time in Europe, because in Europe, they want like crazy DJ sets. They want crazy technical. Um, I found a way to kind of blend the best of both worlds where it's like, all right, here's a way to make the unhinged craziness of the underground like stay true to it mm-hmm. but also polish it a bit so like i can have it in front of like a bigger a bigger audience and stay true to um stay true to who i am but like you get what i'm saying like yeah. polish it up a bit you know what it's I mean? a happy medium it's 100 a happy medium and i think a lot of times i mean exactly what we were talking about before this where you know playing those underground shows even if they're not underground they're just a small cap room you know those people are there for your vibe. Like if you're one of the top two artists playing, you know, headliner, direct support, whatever, you're bringing people in, you get to be authentically you. And, and you know what, if they don't like it, they bought a ticket to see authentically you. But then it's about that balance where you're supporting on a really large tour. Or you're playing festivals where you want to reel that crowd in with something they may know or something that's maybe a little bit more conducive to what, that festival or that stage is about and then go, well, here's me, here's me in the midst of that. And that's really difficult when you're making music that isn't the music that everybody else is making, you know, and you have to find that whether it's taking acapellas or you're doing an edit out of a very commercialized song into a double drop and then you get to chop and do all your shit. It's, it's, I, I think that, you know, Subtronics is a really good, example of that where he had all of this very out there stuff like five six years ago and I remember kind of coming across him and being like wow he's been around for a minute but he makes all of this really wild shit and I remember seeing him in smaller venues and it was 
you know, kind of like the you and me Galantis remix into this crazy fucking double and all that stuff. And, and you'll still get people, you know, I'll always say, I'd rather have people who ride or die for me and then hate me than me try and people please everybody. Cause that's not going to get me anywhere because if I'm just doing the same shit that everyone else is going to do, why are you going to spend your money on me and come to see me when I come back and play a small venue? But it's definitely, you do feel like a people pleaser for, I think a lot of that growth era that you and I are in where you want to make sure everybody's happy and you want to make sure you kill it to be invited back and create that relationship with the buyer and create that relationship with the artist team. But you also got to have that long-term thing in the back of your mind where it's like, I want that headliner slot. Like one day I am going to be that headliner. So I have to be true to me. I don't want to be support forever. I think uh, one thing that helped me too was coming to that realization of like, I definitely needed to adapt my sound for the festival stage, you know, Mm -hmm. but then coming to that realization that like, even though I was doing well and people were still happy with my sets, both old fans and new, they were still satisfied with my sets but I wasn't happy. Like I was, I wasn't left feeling like I left everything on the table there. And you know, that's how you want to feel as an artist, especially playing a festival. You're like, I want to get off that stage and be like, that was fucking it. Like, let's go. Exactly. I want to feel like I could not have pushed myself any fucking harder. And I, there's just a couple festivals that still to this day haunt me, but I'm kind of glad they happened because it's such a burning, like, lesson. And when I talk about how unhappy I was with those performances, people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? You killed it. I was like, no, you do not, you do not understand how personal this is to me. But coming back and finding that happy medium, it was a slow, like progressive progress because I still did have, I had old fans that like, you know, there's this look on my face, like halfway through and I hit like a certain stance on the decks with the crossfaders. And so my OG fans like, okay, there, like, there's LA underground sweet tooth. Like, here it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then by that time in my set, like, I've already gotten everyone on my side to the point where, like, it doesn't matter what I do anymore. They're just there for it. You know what I mean? Yep. But through doing that, I've created a more grassroots, and especially with what I'm doing with Grocery Boys. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm the only one doing it, but just my contribution to Grocery Boys has been kind of like, fucking oldest brother at a foster home. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And just kind of going back to like, yo, like I looked at the biggest artists in the world and not saying I don't want to be a big artist, but like, I never want to be the trust fund, like frat, preppy guy, you know, like that. But that's not who you are authentically. Yeah. And it never will be me, you know, like I'm the kid that was just getting kicked out of school for like skating, you know, like tagging shit, you know, like fucking petty fights over like, you know, like just street rat shit. And that's why I gravitated towards dubstep because it was a home for street rats to get out that like fucking raw aggression and shit. So I've just gone back to that and that being the one, the thing that's fueling that. And then like, that's really been resonating with people. So now it's gotten to a point where my entire fan base is pulling up so heavy to see me not ease into who I really am, but like start out the gate with who I really am and have that whole hour, just like nonstop aggressive sweet to the shit that their vibe is like, they're so fucking happy that it's happening, that their vibe just spreads to the rest of the crowd. And even if the crowd didn't know who I was, it's just kind of like a tutorial. I'm like it's that I, energy yeah. where you walk up and like, I'm the, I'm the same fucking way, like watching like Suicide Boys on the fucking Coachella thing. Like that's not necessarily like my cup of tea. But if I walked into a stage with that type of energy, 
that would be it. I'd be like, let's go. And then I'd probably walk away being, you know, saying like, wow, like I probably would have never gone out of my way to see them, but they were kick ass. Like they were really good. And see, and that's, that's my thing with dubstep is I really, I really even feel like, especially, you know, with us, like with metal backgrounds and stuff, I think the energy at dubstep shows even beats those shows sometimes. And, and I didn't used to think that. And now the way that it's grown, like seeing like the Forbidden Kingdom sets and seeing the crowd for those, seeing the Lost Land sets, there's nothing that will beat that like raw, I'm here, I'm ready to like rumble type of energy. And, and I love that. And I think that really just shows you know, that you found like your lane, like your authentic lane. And it also, you know, from a business standpoint, it allows you to be like, Hey, like maybe this isn't the best offer for me. Like maybe this, this show, like, isn't going to make sense for where we're aligning. Like, and, and I, I think that that kind of attests to huge growth within a journey, within a project's journey and getting to that point where it's like, these are my people. They're going to show up. I mean, I think of the dubstep FBI video of you and Artix, right? Yeah. I pronounce his name? yeah. Yeah. When, when the gates open and you know, he's got a stack support lineup. So of course you're playing right at doors and they're running. And I mean, it's red rocks. Awesome. Sweet. It's Cyclop rocks. Everybody's ready, but people don't always run at red rocks when the gates open, you know, like, honestly, like it's not always like that. That was honestly one of the coolest things ever. And like, I can't wait to play red rocks again at a later slot and like have, you know, like the, people be slammed like, yeah, yeah, there yeah, yeah, already. Yeah. But I'm really glad I got to open because seeing people like sprint in the second doors open was like, cause I remember, uh, there was no crowd. It was six, like, you know, cause we just start the music. We're both kind of looking down cause playing in front of no one is just a little bit awkward. Mm -hmm. And Nico, it was his transit or it was his time on the deck. So he's just hyper-focused and Nico is Arctic, by the way. And I see the people sprint and I'm like, Nico, Nico. <laughs> and he's like, what dude? And he looks, he's like, Oh fuck. You know, he's like, let's go. Oh my gosh. And like, I'm sure that said, I know it was probably a bit shorter, but how was playing Red Rocks? No, it was sick. Uh, we actually ended up playing a full hour. Okay, yeah, sweet. So. Oh, nice. Sometimes they put people up there for like 25 minutes. Yes. Super and short. I got super lucky and again, like super grateful that I got to play the full hour. Um, it was cool seeing like, <laughs> it was cool being, I feel like Jesse put me and Nico together on that lineup because- Jesse knows the music like like the back of his hand, oh, you know? yeah. And he knows everyone that he's putting, like he curates these lineups like well. Very thoughtfully, yeah. yes. So he put me and Nico together and he's like, okay, I want these two to put on a rhythm clinic. Like there, there may be other artists that play rhythm that night, but like this is going to be like the most pure like sense of what rhythm actually is. Mm -hmm. And that's what me and Nico did. So we had like people doing high knees, like gun fingers and shit, you know? Yeah. And it was really cool having people come up to us after our set and being like, dude, I never thought I'd hear like this here. rhythm at, at Red Rocks. And it's like, fuck, dude, like it's kind of mad. It's, it's insane. And it just, it, I mean, in Denver, I think you can walk around in a crowd of a hundred people and like 50 of them will be aspiring DJs for sure. I yeah. definitely think that people are very well-versed and well-cultured here. Like you can get away with shit here that you really can't get away with in any other market. I think in the United States, like, it, it's it's a very special special place that's very open to experimentation and seeing what sticks and pushing stuff forward and then just being able to like put on OG shit like having a full rhythm set and it being like like I know like if that were to go down in Tampa like 
some people would love it, but the majority of the people would be like, okay, like this is sick. This is cool. And you would have to mix other things in, but here they're all for it. They're all for the out there shit. And, and I love that because there's just, there's, there's not a lot of that with as mainstream as electronic music has really gotten, which is amazing because there's so many more people here than ever before and attending festivals and X, Y, and Z. But it also comes with that, you know, that kind of sticky side of, okay, well, I got to rope them in and I got to show them and I have to teach them and I have to educate them and give them what they may not really necessarily want to hear, but I know they need to hear it. So here you go. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's so crazy just kind of thinking back just in the short time of where you were then and where you were now. And it's, it's very exciting. So what does summer kind of look like for you? I know you have some festivals and some shows and I'm sure new music on the way, you know, is there, is there anything in specific you're excited for? Oh yes. Okay. So, uh, next week, April 29th, I'm playing Phoenix Raceway with uh, another Subtronic show. Okay, sweet. Oh, and that's going to be massive. That's going to be a massive. massive. And I heard we're actually inside the raceway, which will be kind of nuts. So then, um, and then we just announced this today, actually, but May 13th, I'm playing the Circus Takeover for Bass Rush in DC. And the first- the At first, Echo Stage? At Echo Stage, oh. yes. The first dubstep show I ever went to, the one where I decided I was going to be a dubstep DJ was Bass Rush in Circus 10 years ago. So this is my full circle moment. I love it. And then in June, we have FK, which is obviously I'm hyped to be playing FK. Yeah. But I'm more so hyped that, if I'm not mistaken, this is Ushu's first US appearance. And we're There's doing, a ton of debuts. And we're doing that back to back together. And he's legitimately one of my best friends. Me and him have been talking about wanting to do this back to back like since we first met. So to be doing that at FK, like we're, we're hyped, you know? It's and, the perfect crowd. Perfect crowd. And the good thing is too, like with back to backs, I told them straight up. I was like, Hey man, you can do the storytelling. Yeah. I'm just going to go off. And he's like, Niga, this yeah. is why I love going back to back with you. And I'm like, <laughs> so we're hyped. And then after that, I have rampage, which is another back to back with me level and Dr. Ushu, which okay. would be, yeah. Which oh, is, sick. yeah. Okay. And then after that, I have base paradise in uh, Budapest. And the night I'm playing is it's gentlemen's club, then bad clot, then me. So I miss bad clot. I, I used to take lessons from him. He was, he was always so wonderful. And, and we would always kind of talk and he was like, plans come to us, plans come to us. And he's get his fucking visa back. I, I don't know who I was with the other day. They were all, they, it was like a big group of people and bad clots name just came up and they were like, I miss that motherfucker. Like I used to love his music and he's, he's an OG forever. The funny thing is too, people think about NSD bad clot and they think like that was a start. And I want to say that was like 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. I was like, nah, mate, like bad clot's been around since like 2010, 2011, maybe even 09, if I'm not mistaken, like the freak skank days, Whopper, fucking like, you know, all that shit. But yeah, man's is an OG. Man's is making rhythm before rhythm was called rhythm, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But it's funny, too, because one of the first underground shows I went to was literally Coffee, who was one of the members of Gentleman's Club. So it was before Gentleman's Club was a thing. It was Coffee's first U.S. appearance. And then Bad Clout was the headliner. So, like, I don't know. This year is just a lot of full circle moments where, like, I get to share primetime slots with people that I grew up listening to. Which is amazing. Which is, which is like, I feel like that's the moment where you're just kind of, you reflect and you say, okay, this is what I've been working towards. And then you achieve it and you say, this is my next goal. 
this is where I want to go next because it's always about those kind of like mile markers because I feel like you get here and then you want to be here and you get here and then you want to be here. And it's just, it's, it's all of that mixed with, I think, a little bit of balance where you try and have somewhat of a personal life and a personal community, which is definitely difficult sometimes. Yeah, for me right now, personal life, actually, I would say the only thing that's personal life is uh, bodybuilding or weightlifting. Yeah. Like that's because Grocery Boys to me like is an escape, but we're we're at this point, we're, we're a business yeah, now. You know? yeah, and, you you know, guys, yeah. We had that meeting with each other before we even really started taking off. And we're like, okay, we have the potential to do something insane, but we have to treat it like a business and the business has to come first. Like obviously friendship at the end of the day is more important than anything. But we do have to realize that like certain sacrifices will be made and it's going to put a strain on our friendship because we're trying to create the best opportunity for all of us, you know? Mm -hmm. So we do the gaming things. We're starting to throw shows now. But like we also do like Twitch streaming and video games and whatnot. So even video games now is like, it's work. It's fun work, but it's still like we have to get our clips. We have to like edit them, make sure they're like funny for TikTok or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, the only thing I have in my life that is pure and untouched is going to the gym. Going to the gym and seeing Mario. Yes, which Let's is. <laughs> this is for everybody listening. This is the reason why we want to do the podcast. We just always end up going super serious and deep about everything else under the moon. It was so good. What, wait, did you think it was good or no? I thought it was freaking amazing. I thought I'm it was not amazing. just saying that like, I was very skeptical when I heard that they had Chris Pratt play Mario. I know. I know. People, because people were like, oh, the voice, like the voice isn't on point. I thought it was wonderful. No, the voice so was sick. Good. And I, I don't know how much spoilers we're allowed to talk, you know. But oh, like, I know. They've had three weeks to I see know. It. You guys have had so long. Like, it's okay. honestly out of theaters right This now. is your chance right now. We're going spoilers. Spoiler. Into Spoiler. the Mario movie. If you haven't seen it. That's why I covered everything else up until this point. So now if they want to turn it off, spoiler alert, you guys can go. And if you haven't seen it, stop watching it right now. Stop watching this right now and go see it and then come back and watch this. It's so good. Oh my God. Like the layout, like I I haven't, I mean, I've tried my fair share of video games. I think the only video game I can actually successfully play is Mario and Mario Kart and like all of the different like Luigi's like haunted house and like all that stuff. Like I really enjoyed playing those because it kind of took away a lot of time and there were so many people in the theater that were, I would say, 30, 40, 50s, like, man alone, sitting alone, laughing their asses off. I smiled the whole entire time. I didn't know how I was going to go into it because the one in the 1990s was such an epic fail and they made Mario this, like, dark, depressed being. And you're like, wait, what? And then you look at other movies like Sonic and you're like, okay, this is, like, fine, but it's not great. You're like, you didn't really embody the actual, like, I would say like storyline and character and they always try to make this like realistic adaptation and they just left this automated. And I think it was universal. It wasn't even Pixar. It was universal. It was uh, right? Illuminate. Or, it was Illuminate. Oh, okay. And then they just did wonderfully. Like it was so good. So funny story about that. And I ended up finding this out after apparently the movie was originally really bad. Really? Yeah. But then Nintendo came and for those of you that don't know, Nintendo is known for just being utterly ruthless. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So Nintendo came and they saw that and they're like, no, absolutely not. We're doing this again. And then, like, they pretty much watched over them. Like, you know, like the teacher. As like, they <laughs> should. Because no mu- no movie studio, no major movie studio has ever done this properly. Right. Ever. Yeah. 
So then they made sure that everything stayed true, you know, to the Nintendo universe and to the characters and everything like that. And there's also like, there were so many Easter eggs. Uh, like one of the first scenes when the the plumbing went wrong and Mario's in his room and like he's all sad and whatnot. All the posters in his background were like original um, Nintendo games. Like yeah. they had the Mario baseball. They had the Mario track. Well, it, was, it was like um, paying homage. You know, so they had paid homage to the Mario track and field, the baseball, the Grand Prix, which was even like Nintendo Grand Prix, which is before um, before Mario Kart. And then in one of the last scenes, they had Punch Out Pizza, which was an ode to you know Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Mm-hmm. So just like, and the thing is too, I love how many Easter eggs they put in there without doing the fucking MCU thing of like, here's an Easter egg. We're gonna pause. Like, please clap. Like everyone, please clap. It's just like, yo, if you saw it, you saw it. You know, like. The attention to detail, it was a fun ride from start to finish. Like everything, all the tie-ins to the games felt natural. They felt like integral to the integral to the plot. They didn't feel forced. Uh, dude, I could go on forever. And then like even the first scene when they're going to the plumbing job and they haven't even gone to uh, Mushroom Kingdom yet. And it just turns to a 2D sc- uh, side scroller. Like- I literally just had to say that. Oh my God. I was literally thinking in my head, I'm like listening to what you're saying. And the layout was so cool. And I saw it in 3D and like, the way it would switch, I was just like, movie, video game, movie, video. It was so dope. And it was like this linear, very like, I was in the game. Like I was in the game. And then, you know, as you kind of, as the story progresses and, you know, they go through through the tunnel and you kind of go in and then it switches back to coming out at you. It was so intelligently put together. And the writing was wonderful. All of the characters were so embodied. Jack Black was fucking phenomenal. Peach was phenomenal. And I loved how they didn't make, I loved how they didn't make Peach like the girl who needed to be saved. Like she was this like badass motherfucker, like leading the kingdom. Like, and and the way that they, the way that they set up like a Donkey Kong movie to happen and the way that they played all of these characters and you went from the worlds to the worlds. I was like, this is just like the movie that, everyone needs to see, but I can also understand the perspective of if you don't know Mario and you've never played it and you don't know the characters, you're going to be incredibly lost. They made this movie not to appeal to the masses. They moved, they made this movie to appeal to the generations of Mario fans that have come to be. I think also though, that Mario is one of those games or franchises that's so iconic that there's really not that many people who haven't played a Mario game in some way, shape, or form. You know? Or isn't at least knowledgeable. I mean, I look at Mario, and in my mind, I say he could be like a Mickey Mouse. He could be that big of an icon. And without Nintendo, this would have never gone over yeah. well. It just wouldn't have. No, 100%. And then, you know, where I'm sat thinking, it's like, with DC and with Marvel, I know we all have like comic book fatigue and we all have like uh, cinematic universe fatigue, but like there's this a huge part of me that's just like, nope, give it to me. Give me Nintendo cinematic universe. Give me Donkey Kong. Give me Legend of Zelda. Give me Metroid. And like, give me a Super Smash Bros. movie. I don't know. I don't care what the plot is. I just want a Super Smash Bros. movie. Like, <laughs> that's what they're setting up for. Hopefully, I, I want it. I need it. And then there are people like, no, we don't need this. Like, yes, we do. Yes, we do. And like, I mean, if you want to look, if we want to kind of circle this back to what we started our conversation with today, if you want to look at the analytics, I mean, it broke 
it, it made so much money because it appealed to everyone. Usually I feel like a lot of animated movies are for kids or for this or for that. I mean, this was for the whole family and debatably for adults more than children, but you could bring the whole family to the show and it was easily, you know, it was easy storyline to follow along with. And, and all of, you know, what you say about the Easter eggs and the little tidbits and the different chapters, I felt like I could see just the storyboarding, like in the back of my head of how everything progressed. And it, it was just done so elegantly and it was not too long. It wasn't too short. I was on the edge of my seat the whole entire time. And I was like left wanting more, but also satisfied. I was also like, wow, that was a great movie. And if that was maybe any longer than it was, I could have questioned, okay, did this really need to be in here? I felt like the timing was on. The comedic timing was perfect. The script was incredibly well-written. And even though people did kind of have banter about who was casting on who or the voices or X, Y, and Z, I thought it was incredibly authentic. No, and I think too, like, I feel like all the doubt about Chris Pratt went out the window the second people saw the movie. And there is a lot of discourse about like, well, they should have had the guy that does Mario's voice it, it, like play the movie. And in the opening scene where they do the Mario Brother commercial and they have the super exaggerated voices, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was a nice retcon of what, like it was Chris Pratt proving that if he wanted to, he could do the super exaggerated Mario yes. voice. But then also giving it a more realistic human, like down to earth, like, because at the end of the day, if we would have heard that voice for I would have been trying to shoot myself. Yeah, I would have been I, like, I, yo, <laughs> no. Yeah. So yeah. I think they did a good job of like, all right, yeah, like he could do the voice, but fuck off. Like nobody wants this for an hour and a half. No, nobody wants it for an hour and a half. And you're right. Like when it was kind of in like the real world simulation and they did the voices, like that was the perfect way to do it. And it was just a hell of a cast too. Now I'm thinking because Seth Rogen was in it, right? Yeah, he, Charlie was, was he, Day. Was he Donkey Yeah, Kong? he was Donkey Yeah, Kong. yeah. And, and the way that I think a, a lot of people felt like Donkey Kong's father was oddly placed, but that was the only kind of critique that I saw from the back end of people not really loving it. I I just well, the thing is too, great. like I I feel like I don't know. I feel like it made sense because you know, like, but then again, there are people that haven't played the Donkey Kong games. Yes, which I can understand the disconnect there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I think too, like what they're kind of setting up is they're giving Donkey Kong the chance to, you know, go from being like second in command to his own coming of age story where he'll end up leading like the Kong army and all that other stuff where he's going to have to go through his own, like, like I said, coming of age type of thing, which we'll, we'll see like in later movies. But one critique that I saw is they said that the pacing was a little weird, which I kind of disagree with. And the, the thing they used was like when Mario and Donkey Kong get blown off rainbow, uh, What's a rainbow road? And the rainbow the road when they get ambushed. Yeah, and they have that heart to heart that lasted like all the thirty seconds, and they were best friends all like sudden. And I was like, well, no, like I've I've been in a room with a guy that I hated, and he hated me, and we talked for like thirty seconds. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. Nothing, no, nothing more needs to be said. Like we're over it. I I mean I agree with that. I mean there were just so many amazing moments, and if you haven't seen the movie. You guys should really see it. This is not sponsored, by the way. We yeah, no, this is not sponsored. I, I asked Devin to come on the podcast to talk about Mario. So now we're talking about Mario because I just think it's 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 such a lovely movie. And I think as me who went in a bit skeptical, I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. And I may 
just really be unattached the whole time. I, the second I sat down and put the glasses on and it started, I mean, even the intro where it was, I think 8-bit, they did like a very cool, I think 8 to 16-bit intro and then you went into the movie. It was just, it was awesome. Honestly, like a lot of my doubt went away when they showed the first trailer with the Mario Karts and there was a scene where, you know, like Mario's cart gets blown up and then he's in the air and then he lands on a turtle and then the turtle turns into a shell and he used that shell to like blow up another turtle. I was like, dog. I was like, no, hold on. I like, I like rewinded that, like, uh, that little fucking scene like six times he does a, the no swipe after i'm like nah this is gonna be raw like yeah. this, is gonna, this is it you're like this is it oh my god well i'm glad we could could reminisce i definitely want to see it again because i feel like i missed a lot of things that i could have I, I i feel like it's just one of those movies every time you watch it, you're gonna see something different i want to see it again just so i can hear peaches by jack black i love i love i love i loved how they adapted his character and it was still so true but like you have to develop a storyline like you have to make character and he's fucking perfect he's so good the thing is too like in the later games you know for nintendo wii like game uh gamecube and all that like mario not mario bowser was kind of like a head in the clouds simp you know so it wasn't off brand at all like he was a beast but when it came to peach he was just a dweeb that didn't know what to do with his hands he played so into it and it made it so like it was just this complexity of the character that was amazing. Like the, the, the bipolarness, the one to the other. And, and Jack Black just did that fucking beautifully. All right, dude, this was stellar. I feel like we just talked five hours, but, but we covered everything. We talked about your summer. You're going to fucking kill it. I'm so excited to hopefully see you again next time you're in Denver, but knowing us, I'll probably be be playing a show. Probably be gone playing a show, but this was lovely. Is there anything else you want to touch on? Here we go. Um, stay true to yourself, stay true to your vision. Shout out grocery boys. And, uh, I don't know. See you guys on the road. See you guys soon. Bye.